Is it possible for us to renew our language about God so that people who are outside our communities of faith can understand us and we can understand them? Jonathan Merritt will be with us to talk about that on Good God. Stay tuned. Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I'm George Mason, and I'm glad to welcome to our program today, Jonathan Merritt. Jonathan, glad to have you. Yes, good to be with you. Well, Jonathan is uh, actually visiting here in Dallas, and I'm uh, grateful that we had the opportunity to uh, sequester you off here to have this conversation because uh, Jonathan is one of the most important, in my opinion, uh, one of the most important writers about religion in America today. Uh, he, uh, he writes his own column for Religious News Service and also for the Atlantic Magazine. Uh, and he writes books, including, uh, in fact, this one that is coming out, his next book. It's called Learning to Speak God from Scratch, uh, Why Sacred Words Are Vanishing and How We Can Revive Them. <clears throat> I know the backstory to this a little bit. You shared it with our church on Sunday, but I think everyone else would like to know a little more about uh, how you came to decide this was important to write. Yeah, we, you, you know, George, as we've talked about, I, I grew up in the Bible Belt, right. and uh, about five years ago, I decided that I would move to the Big Apple, from the Bible Belt to the Big Apple. It's quite- My hometown. Yeah, oh, it is? You didn't know. I did not know yeah, that. I grew up in Staten Island, and I went to high school at Brooklyn Tech. High school. Wow! Right. So the Yankee, the Yankee came south of the Mason-Dixon, as they say. That's correct. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Well, developed a taste for barbecue along the way, I'm Good. sure. Yes. But I, I went the opposite direction. Went to New York, <clears throat> and and it was sort of a culture shock for right. me. And what I realized was I'd run into a language barrier. Not that I couldn't speak English, mm -hmm. but I could no longer speak God. And what uh -huh. I mean by that is just. I really struggled right. in, in this context to have conversations about faith, spirituality, mm -hmm. uh, religion, uh, mm -hmm. morality, ethics, all of these kinds of animating factors of the inner life. Mm -hmm. And that for me was kind of the spark in, in terms of a personal life crisis mm -hmm. that sent me on a journey to ask, well, am I the only person who's struggling to speak God? And if not, how widespread is this problem? And if it's widespread, should we do something about it? And that's really what this book is. But when I get up to preach, if I use words like grace and redemption and, uh, and, and all these sorts of words, atonement, whatever the case may be, these are words you understand and I understand because we've been religious insiders, right? But now we find ourselves in a much more pluralistic society. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that you know New York maybe is the place where you really discovered how important it was to be more conversant with the culture and to think about your language, it's becoming increasingly true everywhere, isn't mm -hmm. it? And the more yeah. we can be bilingual uh, in some ways, the better we are at uh, understanding the people we're talking to about the faith. Yeah, you know, a lot of people say, well, America's becoming secular. It's really not becoming secular. That's sort of a reduction, but it is becoming, as you said, pluralistic. Mm -hmm. It's becoming postmodern and it's mm -hmm. becoming in some ways a post-Christian. And if you mm -hmm. have like a Venn diagram, it's at the convergence of all three of those things. That's really where we find ourselves. Right. And because of the advent of the internet, because of social media, because we're all connected, the shifts that are happening in culture are not just happening in New York City or even urban centers. Right. They're happening in the Midwest. They're happening in the Deep South. Everybody is feeling this pinch. And, and what they feel is, is 
we're not working from the same script. We don't understand the same words in the same ways. And that creates a problem because then when you, when you find you can't talk about something, at least not easily, hmm. then you don't talk about ah, something. There it is, yeah. So in the book, you really argue that there is a way to refresh all of this language and to renew it and for us to learn again from scratch how to speak God. Uh, what are some of the directions that you would point us toward if we're really to be able to, to grow in that direction? Yeah, you know, what, what I did, uh, I commissioned this big, big survey and found that only about 7% of Americans say that they have a spiritual conversation on a, on a regular basis about once a week. Uh, practicing Christians, churchgoers, people mm -hmm. like, like us, you know, Christians that go to church, only about 13%. So yes. despite widespread religiosity in right. the U.S., we're not having conversations about spirituality. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of a dying language. Mm -hmm. And what I did was I, I went down, right down, marched down to the New York Public Library. I got into a stack of books on linguistics and started to ask, has there ever been a language or languages that were on the brink of dying and came back? And what I found was there were quite a lot of those. They're mm -hmm. called comeback languages. Okay. And when it comes to bringing back a language to, if we were to use again a sacred word, to resurrecting yeah. a language that has died or is dying, there are a number of things that, that you can do to kind of revitalize that in communities. But one of those is taking an imaginative approach to faith, which means not just saying, all right, guys, let's let's use this language and let's use it, let's use all the words that we've always used in all the ways that we've always used them. Right. Instead, it means having intentional conversations in communities about what these words might mean for us in our day that meet right. our needs, that avoid the pitfalls that, they, that, that, that we've encountered in previous years, to avoid mm -hmm. oppressing people or hurting yes. people in the ways that these words have been used to oppress or hurt people in the past, reimagining them to breathe life back into these terms that are really struggling to find traction mm -hmm. in a postmodern, pluralistic, and post-Christian culture. In, in my friendships with people in the Jewish community, my uh, rabbi friends in, in Dallas, uh, over the years I've run up against this when we brought our congregations together and they, we sit around and you know Christians uh, talk about being saved. Oh, you know, yeah. to their Jewish neighbors. And uh, they, they don't mean to be mean about that, and they, they, but they also don't know what they mean by that. They assume that everybody knows what it means to be saved. But I'm not sure Christians generally even know what it means to be saved. When you actually begin to tease that out and say, well, what does it mean for your life to fall into that category? What is conversion and what is the meaning of that? Jews don't have a concept of salvation in the same way. They don't think they were ever lost, and they, 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 but they also actually do think about uh, the, the idea that God wants to create a world of shalom uh, mm -hmm. to come. And when we start having those conversations and saying, what do you mean by that? And let's, oh, now I got to really rethink that. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it becomes, our faith becomes much fresher, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's much more real to us. And uh, I, I think uh, just the whole exercise requires more than just sitting in your own room and saying, I, I want to do a lexical study on this, right? Mm -hmm. You know, there's a, there's a 
uh, a great quote, I probably learned it in seminary or something, uh, by an old uh, pastor named A.W. Tozier who said, mm -hmm. um, what we think about when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Uh. What I think Tozier was getting at is when you speak a word, it's not the word itself, it's not the arrangement of letters that matters. It's the, that, that word is a signpost pointing to something. Right. Most people have used the word. We've held up the signpost, but we've never stopped to think about like, what is that pointing to? And is that really what I mean when that comes out of my mouth? We've right. never stopped to say, what am I saying when I'm saying what I'm saying? Yes. And because we haven't stopped to do that, we don't know what we mean when mm -hmm. we say these things. And that becomes problematic, especially, you know, I'm sure you've run into this too. You have friends who are Jews or Muslim or atheist or, mm -hmm. or some other form of Christian, and they stop and say, what do you mean by that? Right, right. And you don't know. Right. And that's a real stark moment for somebody who considers themselves a, a professional Christian or a practicing Christian, okay, but I think. Isn't that the hopeful thing too? that we find ourselves in this situation. You move from Atlanta to New York and you find yourself in that situation. But I think we're finding in American uh, religion right now, generally in American culture, that this is happening all over the country. Uh, and increasingly, if we want to just stay within our religious communities and the bubble of, uh, of those experiences, okay, fine, but it's gonna become increasingly difficult for us to live in the wider world, uh, to understand one another, and actually to live uh, at peace with one another. We're gonna be either uh, learners who, who listen to one another and who reflect more deeply on their faith and respect other people's traditions, or we're going to do what we're seeing increasingly now, and that is balkanizing. Mm -hmm. right? and, mm -hmm. and that's certainly a factor in American culture today, and I think worldwide as well. How do you, how do you see that? Because I, I, I think this is interesting, I think it's true. Mm -hmm. But in a place like Dallas, big city, but right. it's also a deep south city, right. so it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's this sort of weird mix of, of urban values and kind of the conservative deep south values. Right. How do you see that popping up in your community with your congregation, I mean, do right. you do you ever hear from folks who say, "I don't really know how to converse with people outside of these walls," or do they say, "It's just not something I even try to do"? Right. So I think some of it's about modeling, and uh, for me to do that uh, in their presence, uh, and for our staff to do that in relationship to colleagues uh, of other faiths, where we're engaging in. Um, public uh, acts of goodwill and where we're coordinating our efforts in social justice or in charitable work or whatever. When we're doing that, we, we, we model for them how to do that mm -hmm. and it makes them less afraid. And then, and then we'll invite the congregation to uh, have dinner as we did you know, this past week, uh, a, a Ramadan dinner with uh, a Turkish Muslim group that came and we just learn at the table with one another and mm -hmm. we listen to their experience. So I think some of it is about leadership. Mm -hmm. I, I think if we're, it, it's sort of like with parenting, I think, Jonathan, you know, what, we, what you learn is uh, if you want your child not to be fearful, then don't let them pick up on your fear, you know. Mm -hmm. If you want them to have confidence, then let them watch you do that. And so, you I, know. I, I think that's 100% right and I'll, and I'll tell you I'll express to you how I've done this because actually yeah. 
I've always said we can't be what we've what we don't see. Uh-huh. If, you, if you haven't seen it modeled, if you haven't seen what it looks like, it's right. hard to live into something that you you, sure. you imagine something out of the air. In fact, in this book, modeling was so important. This is where you and I are on the same page. Modeling was so important. The second half of the book, as you you know, mm-hmm. is like 17 essays on right. different words, right. and it isn't because I felt like oh I'm. I'm a writer, so I need to give everybody a new dictionary. Right. That's, not, that's not what I'm doing in this book. Right. What I wanted to do was take 17 of the key phrases mm-hmm. in the lexicon of faith mm-hmm. and model for people what it would look like to reimagine those terms in real time. Right. And I think that's important because I can talk conceptually about right. what it looks like to revitalize the vocabulary of faith, right. but I think people really have to see it. It's not also, by the way, as you know this is true, it's not also something that can be done with a single book. It has to be done by people just like you. Uh, Teachers and pastors and local communities who are doing it with people that you know them, you know their children, you know their life stories, Mm -hmm. you're rubbing up against them in real time. And so together in your community, what I hope I think this book will do is encourage people like you in real community to imagine these these words afresh. Yes. area where this is uh, it also hits for both of us I think is in dealing with media uh, because y- you are one of the most um, knowledgeable and articulate uh, uh, writers for the public about these matters of religion uh, but you and I both see and experience how many journalists get assigned to the religion beat and know absolutely nothing about what's going on in these religious communities. Mm-hmm. This week in Dallas, we had both Baptist groups, the Southern Baptist and the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, meeting in the same week right here. I know. And, uh, and a, that, is a, that is a crazy thought. I'm surprised there wasn't a mushroom cloud or something that came. But the city is okay. I'm happy to we're, report. We're okay. There were no fights that broke out. It was all good. And, and my group went second, so we were, you know, we were yeah. happy about that. But, but, but how many times in the past couple of weeks is in the lead up to this did I have to explain the difference to religious journalists or broadcasters about uh, what kind of Baptists we each of us are and what our tradition is at all, what's common to us, what's different to us. Uh, They have very little uh, ability to do that. So part of this language game that we're talking about is, yes, we have to relearn it ourselves, but we have to relearn it so that we can talk to people who know nothing about this, including not just our neighbors, but the media, who then become the representers of what our agendas are and what what we're up to in the world. Yeah, you're right. It's it's media, it's uh, Hollywood, it's Silicon Valley, it's uh, Wall Street. It's uh, Washington. It's Washington inside yes. the Beltway. I think that once you find yourself out of highly Christianized communities, right. you do have a breakdown in terms of, of how people understand the nuances of these terms and, and within these communities. And of course, right. you know, uh, even among Christian communities, the definitions of these phrases vary. Absolutely you know, right. We use the word baptize, we're Baptist. Right. That means something. It means adults going under the water. But right. if you talk to a, a Catholic, for example, somebody from the Anglican communion, sure. they think of infants and sprinkling. If you go into Pentecostal communities, they may sure. think of speaking in tongues and something that the Holy Spirit has done through them yes. or to them. So these words, even they're, they're shaped and formed within communities and they differ from community to community. Right. So that, you know, I try to be empathetic because it's difficult, but then there, there, there is, I think, 
uh, uh, there are a lot of people in the media, and it's a famous problem, people who don't, quote, get religion, who are trying to write about these issues. And it sort of makes the problem worse. Well, it does. And so part of your contribution is writing books and articles and the like, but you also have started a podcast. And after we come back from the break, I'd like for us to explore what's happening in that. Yeah, sounds okay. great. Good. Good God salutes the vital services provided to our community by the North Texas Food Bank. Each day, the North Texas Food Bank Feeding Network provides access to more than 190,000 meals for hungry children, seniors, and families. Visit ntfb.org to get involved. We're back with Jonathan Merritt. And Jonathan, we've talked about your book, Learning to Speak God from Scratch and it is available now for pre-order, I know, uh, and maybe by the time we air this, it's uh, already out on Amazon. Uh, but uh, you and Kirsten Powers have done a, a new podcast, and you've been through the first season, which was artificially created as so many episodes, I guess, right? Because we don't have uh, uh, the TV seasons that work anymore, but uh, you, you did uh, how many episodes? Gosh, I think we did maybe 12 or 13. Right, right. Yeah. And so it's called The Faith Angle, yeah. and it's available on all the sites that you would uh, need to look on, uh, iTunes and Google Play and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, as a listener to your podcast, I just want to say thank you for uh, using that as a way to teach us to speak God from scratch. Mm -hmm. That is to say, you and Kirsten, um, of course, have a great friendship, and so the camaraderie you have with each other and the rapport is part of the uh, delight of listening to it, mm -hmm. and it's a, it's, it's a fun thing to do, but then you also do interviews, and you do wrestle with subjects of the day, but you do it in a way, uh, I think, that uh, doesn't require somebody to be an insider. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're just a person who is a human being in search of meaning and wondering what's going on in the world, uh, these things affect you. Mm -hmm. So what, what was your aim together when you decided, okay, let's do this thing together and let's uh, have a podcast? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, uh, you know, Kirsten, she's a political analyst on CNN, so some of your viewers or listeners who, they may be familiar with her if they watch, mm -hmm. you know, Anderson Cooper or whatever. And a journalist, we often talk about angles in a story. So let's mm -hmm. say you're reporting on some event, they'll say, what's the political angle or what's right. the human interest angle or so it's kind of like how are you going to use this this type of conversation extract this type of conversation in it so we'll often talk in journalism about the religion angle or the faith angle right. so what we're really trying to do in this and it addresses what you brought up before which is a is a, a widespread problem of kind of religious illiteracy right. in the media is to take the news of the day, the most important, most pressing stories, and to extract the faith angle and understand mm -hmm. uh, the faith components within that story. And we mm -hmm. felt that was almost kind of like a, a public service, yes. if you will, to kind of help people understand not just what's going on, but if you look through the lens of faith, how would you understand this or how would you translate it into right. faith communities and for people of faith, which is a huge proportion in the United States right now. Right, right. Back in, um, in, in the early 90s, you remember when uh, the Branch Davidian uh, complex was, uh, the ATF stormed it and it was the David Koresh and it was Not a complication. It was down in the Waco area. And uh, I was in Dallas at the time and uh, we, we had people from the Belo Corporation, the general manager of Channel 8 station was in our church and others who worked for the Dallas Morning News. And it was remarkable that um, they, they, they kept calling all the ministers in town to try to figure out who are these people? Mm -hmm. and, and really, 
what's the faith angle to this? Mm -hmm. But it became a teachable moment for the media and for the Bilo Corporation here, where on the heels of that, they determined that they had to do a better job of, of being knowledgeable about religion. And uh, the Dallas Morning News created a religion section that won nine out of 10 years the best religion coverage in the country. Uh, and then they couldn't get enough advertising to sustain it, right? Uh, but uh, but there, there was an attempt uh, to, to begin to say that they need to know the faith angle mm -hmm. uh, much better than they do. And unfortunately, as you know, media is driven much uh, professional, the, the traditional media is driven much by uh, advertising dollars. Mm -hmm. And so it's been difficult to sustain that. But here we are now with podcasts and new ways through social media where we can actually have those conversations. And I know you're a Twitter guy and uh, we, you know, we're having conversations now about all sorts of things that are through social media. And to my way of thinking, this is uh, an extraordinary opportunity for the spirit to be at work in the world in, in, in new sense, it, new technologies, mm -hmm. right? Uh, yeah, I totally, I totally uh, uh, agree with that. I think obviously there are some, there's the downside to social media. Always. Right? Um, there was a, there was a, um, a friend of mine who made a joke the other day about um, how he he had been watching everything that was going on at the Southern Baptist Convention, and he had pulled this phrase from the King James Bible where he said, "I don't know if if uh, he said Twitter is a miraculous thing. I don't know if it will help the lame to walk, but it sure does make the dumb speak." <laughs> and I thought that was interesting. But there's a downside to it. Right, right. Uh, there's positives because it does allow us uh, avenues for conversation outside of traditional media, which right. are kind of these uh, guarded gatekeeper organizations to have to have these conversations, but you, you talk about a trend that a lot of people don't understand that happened in media, that, that uh, a lot of folks 10, 15, actually now about 20 years ago, uh, they were predicting, oh, religion's dying out, right. it's going to disappear in America. And as a result, if you look at a lot of the papers in, in America, the faith and values sections were cut, the mm -hmm. religion reporters were fired or they were reassigned maybe mm -hmm. to the metro section. And what happened was they woke up 10 years later and you've got ISIS and caliphates and here's the religious right that's right. still here in mm -hmm. the Oval Office and you've got Pope Francis and they're right. going, who can help us understand exactly. this? And nobody's there to help them understand right. it anymore. And so now you have these, even in traditional outlets, they're scrambling to rehire and find folks who can speak and, and, and kind of help people understand what's Washington going on. Washington Post, I think, is doing one of the best jobs out there right now. Uh, they have, I think, three religion writers in the Acts of Faith section. So, uh, well, so you've had some really fascinating conversations on your Faith Angle program. And it begins, just to give them the format a bit, you and, and Kirsten talk about the news of the day and about what reactions you've had to other shows before having a guest on where uh, you speak with that guest. But one of the things I've noticed is, uh, is typical of, of these sorts of things. The, the, the response to them is, uh, is fascinating in that uh, everybody seems to invest hopes, I think, that people like you and Kirsten will represent their point of view perfectly and that you will always make the politically correct decision about what guests and how you treat them and how you talk to them. And this started out for you in the very first episode, mm -hmm. where you had Eric Metaxas uh, on, uh, uh, who wrote a book on Bonhoeffer and who has been uh, a spokesman for uh, a, a kind of uh, conservative Christianity that uh, um, is uh, 
is, is wanting to be more thoughtful and intellectual, but he ends up supporting Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And that was a betrayal to a lot of people for you. Talk a little bit about your reaction to yeah, that. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because uh, I find that I'm getting the same thing from the left and the right. Even yeah. though I think fundamentalism oftentimes lodges more easily among conservatives or in right. conservative communities, uh, conservatives don't corner the market on fundamentalism, <laughs> right? There's just different sets of fundamentals. Right. So there are silencing tactics on the yeah. left and the right. There are shunning tactics on the left and the right. Social media will often exacerbate that. Mm. And what I found is, is that now I'm walking between two minefields. Yeah. And if you want to have a conversation with somebody on the right, they may be bombastic. They may even be, you might even consider them extreme. But they're an important voice. They're somebody who is speaking to something that's broadly felt. Right. Even even if you want to have a conversation with that person, mm -hmm. it explodes. The other yeah. side of the aisle explodes and they right. say, you shouldn't talk to them. They're, they should be anathema. Right. And they should be chased from the public square. And, and what I find is, particularly in this moment of such division, of such a polarization, of such anger, really, mm -hmm. uh, when, especially when you talk about political issues, when you talk about our president, Donald Trump, when you talk about religion, it's hard to find anyone that you can bring on your show that you won't get hate mail. Sure, sure. And I don't know if I don't know if you've ever seen that on your show, but you you have someone on and people yeah. say you shouldn't even be able they shouldn't even their voice shouldn't even be heard. Right. I think that's a really dangerous trend. Well, I do too, and I think the the question is if if our country is going to ever come together, uh, if, if we are going to move beyond this sense of a mandate with 50% plus one that wins elections and then the rest of the are just losers, you know, uh, if, if our churches are ever going to be able to talk to one another when they disagree about things, somebody has to model civil discourse. Somebody has to listen and say, here's how to do that. Here's how to say, it's painful for me to hear you say that, or I hear your point of view, but I disagree with it for this reason. Uh, can you understand this? And, and, and this sort of back and forth that I hear you trying to perform in this, in this podcast is a service to the church and to the religious community, but I think also to the larger community too. You know, and part of it goes back to a trend that we've talked about before, which is, uh, the rise of apologetics. Yes. And we've stopped doing theological inquiry. Right. We've stopped being theologically curious. Right. We've stopped trying to understand right. and we only seek to be understood. Yes. And so you walk into a lot of churches today, the mo the biggest denominations, the biggest mega churches are they're not there to wrestle with your questions or to wrestle with the answers that you might give to their questions. They simply want to convince you right. that they've figured it out. Yes. And when that is your default posture, mm -hmm. it, it is a natural outflow of that, that you would have the kind of public square that we have and religious people behaving in that public square in ways that look exactly like people who have a different faith or no faith at all. Right. And yet when we, uh, when we preach and when we teach and we actually open up and are vulnerable, ourselves about our questions or our doubts, it's fascinating to me how people don't actually lose confidence in us, which is what we fear, I think. 
they actually gain confidence in us that we are human beings just like them and we're on this journey together and it may be okay to not have all the answers. Mm -hmm. You know, the, 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 of course we have the Southern Baptist Convention here, they're a prime example. We've now seen how demographics have really caught up mm -hmm. to the SBC. The SBC uh, sort of built its modern expression on this promise that if they centered their entire existence on certainty, theological rigidity, yes. they would have growth ad infinitum. Yes. And now, of course, you're saying that they're paralleling the trajectory of the main lines that right. they've criticized all of these years. Right. And what we've seen is, is that just being certain or pretending you're certain, yes. just chasing out doubts or shaming people who have doubts is it's not a growth plan. In fact, some of the best data that we have right now, some data that was done by Barner Research says that one of the primary reasons that young people leave churches today is, is they say, my doubts aren't welcome here. Right. So if you really want to chase people away from your church, don't welcome their doubts. Right. Just try to convince them that what you believe is true. Don't listen to them. Don't welcome their questions. And you will chase young people away faster than you think. It's interesting that when we... Um, put signs out in front of our church now and then, you know, just to have pastors by uh, try to figure out, you know, it, it says Baptist out there, but what does that mean that people assume? Uh, sometimes the ones that are, we, we get the most feedback from in the community will we'll say things like, um, where you, you don't have to leave your brains at the door, you know, and uh, where your questions are welcome here and uh, that sort of thing. Sometimes we'll have, we've had pictures of, of women serving communion and this is a woman's place in, mm -hmm. in this church type of thing, you know. And it's just, it's fascinating that, um, that, that, that when you do that, you, you open up conversations because people don't expect that that's the way you're going to be organized as a church. They expect that that's the place where you've got to go and actually you know, be prepared to join them in their certainty before you can actually be a member of the club. Mm -hmm. You know, there, I, I love that. And there's, there, in fact, there's a sign outside of your church right now that I thought was so fascinating that said that you're all of these things before you're all of these other things. Right, well, uh, we're Christian first and all of these other things second. Right, and that yeah. could be, that yeah. could be uh, Caucasian, that could be uh, a black, brown, right. gay, gay, straight, straight male, married, female, married, single. Poor, rich, whatever all the case may things. be. That's right, and exactly. I just thought that was brilliant that what you're doing is, and I, and I think this is necessary, is creating some cognitive dissonance mm -hmm. about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a Baptist, what it means to worship in a building that has a steeple. Right. You really have to do that because there are so many assumptions now right. that have been handed to us by the media, mm -hmm. uh, by uh, on in documentaries and movies and television shows that if you don't have people like you and churches like yours out there creating some cognitive dissonance, not provoking right. the community, then folks will just reject you out of hand. Well, and if we don't have people like you that I could retweet and that I could <laughs> repost. If we're, you might uh, want to be careful if you're retweeting me. You might get into trouble. Well, I've been in trouble before, but uh, <laughs> anyway, they've, they've kept me for 29 years, so I guess I'm, I'm probably okay at this point. But uh, Jonathan, uh, there's so much more for us to talk about. We have another episode we're going to do because we can't stop. So right. thank you for this one, and we'll pick it up again. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Guest coordination and social media by Upward Strategy Group. Here's grateful appreciation to Evolve Technology for location production facilities. Evolve Technology for home audio, video, and lighting design. 
Enjoy more, think less with Evolve. See their great work at EvolveDallas.com. Thanks to Wendy Crispin Caterer for guest parking accommodations. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2018 by Faith Commons. Good God salutes the vital services provided to our community by the North Texas Food Bank. Each day, the North Texas Food Bank Feeding Network provides access to more than 190,000 meals for hungry children, seniors, and families. Visit ntfb.org to get involved.